I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the wind down tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Welcome back to the show, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And happy Halloween. Yes, happy Hallow's Eve. I'm Eli. I'm Diana. Uh, And uh, we're so thrilled to have you today. Thrilled and chilled. Oh, thrilled and chilled. I love it. That's what we need more of. Uh, We're positively... uh, Positively... Ooh, we, <laughs> we've got a skeleton of excitement for having you. Oh, wow. That's not good at all. That's you can see why really that one's... bad. Well, they're just all so cliche. I know. It's uh, pretty cheesy, yeah. Halloween puns. It's hard to be fresh, you know? Mm, it's true. Uh, it's hard to be flesh. <laughs> More oh, like oh, it. Ah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Uh, uh, very excited for this special Halloween episode. Yes. Extra spookiness in store today. 
Because if you know about Ed and Lorraine Warren, chances are you've heard about them from The Conjuring movies by James Wan, starring Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. But these two are, in fact, real people. They're a married couple of paranormal investigators with their own spooky backstories. Because after becoming the preeminent paranormal power couple of their day, they were at the center of some of the world's most well-known supernatural mysteries, like the Amityville Horror, Annabelle the Doll, and the Perrin Family Haunting, which is the story on which The Conjuring was based. Now, obviously, their terrifying tales have been called into question by skeptics, but more shockingly, some truly dark claims have been made about Ed's behavior and the Warrens' loving marriage, and this led to a Hollywood lawsuit and possibly a billion-dollar cover-up. So let's hear the hauntingly strange tale of Ed and Lorraine Warren and their battle against demons and spirits from beyond the grave. So ready, let's go! Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana say welcome to hell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about corpses who are lying in crypts. A lover might be any type of monster at all. A ghoul, a ghost, or a demonic doll. But if there's a spirit worth a second chance, we'll put it in our show, Recryptulous Romance. <laughs> A production of iHeartRadio. So, much of this comes from a book called The Demonologist by Gerald Brittle. And this came out in 1980, and it is the central biography about Ed and Lorraine's life. But remember this author, Gerald Brittle, because he's coming back later. <laughs> Ed Warren was born in September of 1926 in Connecticut. And he was only five years old when he first started to sense the supernatural. See, their old landlady lived in their building, and she would sit at her window and she would wait for people to walk by and do something that she didn't like. <laughs> she hated children, she hated dogs, oh. she hated people in general, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And when someone did something she disapproved of, she would come rushing out of the house and screaming like some kind of banshee. <laughs> Haunting. Truly haunting. Truly haunting. There was a woman like that in my neighborhood when I was mm -hmm. a kid growing up. Yeah. She had spray painted. No, she had hand painted on her sidewalk. She she repaved her driveway like every other week. Total new fresh black asphalt. Weird. This isn't a small town. Like it was not a big driveway. I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> and she painted white lines along where the sidewalk is and put like ropes up so you couldn't go beyond them. And I'll never forget, she wrote on the sidewalk, no bicks on walk, B-I-K-S, on both sides. No bicks. No bicks. On walk. And then later she added, or dogs. And so, of course, the children of the neighborhood would go skid mark all over her driveway with their bikes because they thought that was hilarious. I hope hilarious. the dogs also skid marked all over her <laughs> Probably. Um, I don't know whatever happened to that old lady, but she was pretty mean. I mean, it's so much worse. Whatever bikes damage or... Oh, my God. Whatever damage the bikes are doing right. can't be worse than no bics on walk. Seriously, I mean, it looked on. terrible. So... 
Ed grew up with a similar woman as his landlord, real cranky. But after she died, about a year later, Ed was upstairs in the same house just as the sun was setting. In the darkening attic, the closet door before him started to open. And in the shadows of the closet, he saw a small ball of light hovering in the air. It started to grow. And in just a few seconds, it had stretched and grown to the length of a human. And then in an instant, it took the form of his landlady. She was semi-transparent and wore a drab shroud over her head. She scowled at Ed just as he remembered her always looking. And then she vanished. <sighs> I guess the not scary part is that the landlady vanished. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I bet a lot of people wish their landlady would vanish. <laughs> right around rent time. So Ed told his father, a local policeman, about this, but his father told him to forget it and to never talk about it. Mm. Ed said, quote, well, I never told anyone, but I also never forgot what I saw. This reminds me of David Huggins mm. when he saw aliens as a kid. Uh, in our episode where the the artist fell in love with that alien and yeah. painted her all his life. And he went and told his dad, I think, like, I saw an alien. And his dad was like, you shut your mouth and never talk about that again. <laughs> I'll take you straight to the loony bin. <laughs> so Ed grew up Catholic, and he had a strange fascination with St. Michael before he even knew who St. Michael was. He would stare at a stained glass depiction of him in fascination. His priests and nuns taught his classes about demons and angels and spirits and devils. And as Ed experienced more strange apparitions and hauntings in his home, he took these lessons to heart. He later learned more about St. Michael, who was the archangel who drove Lucifer from heaven, the patron saint of the exorcist. I'm sorry, what, are you hearing that in your headphones? Oh. It's just like a weird... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't I know. There's something I can um, adjust this. Yes. Yeah, no. It's no. It's probably just the wires. Okay. Uh. Oh no. It's gone. It's gone. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Sorry. Anyway. Uh. Meanwhile, just a few blocks from Ed lived a young girl named Lorraine Morin, born in January of 1927. Her family was also Irish Catholic, and Lorraine was a bright young girl with a special ability, clairvoyance. Ooh. Lorraine could see beyond physical space and time that most of us are bound by. And on Arbor Day of 1938, Lorraine's school was planting a new tree. Just as the sapling hit the earth, Lorraine saw a full, massive tree in front of her. She looked up to its stretching branches and saw leaves blowing in the wind. Now, one of the nuns asked her what she was looking up. What the hell are you looking up at? There's nothing up there. It's a small tree. And Lorraine said, well, I'm just looking at the tree. And the nun looks down at her and says, um, Lorraine, are you seeing into the future? And Lorraine replied, quote, yes, I guess I am. Sorry, Weird jump to immediately take. Right. But all right. All right. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Sister Mary C- Catherine or whatever. It's fine. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, these Catholic nuns, they they don't really like answers that they aren't expecting. Right. So Lorraine was immediately sent off to a retreat home where she wasn't allowed to play or, or do anything, really. She just had to sit and pray all day long. Oh. And she told Brittle, quote, after that. I kept my mouth shut. 
Uh, so would I. Yeah, <laughs> that right. Terrible. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my little future trees to myself. Thank you very but much. But it would be so weird if a kid's like, I'm having an imaginative daydream. And someone was immediately like, you're looking into the future. Send them away. <laughs> so Lorraine's abilities were psychic, but she didn't see ghosts or experience hauntings. Meanwhile, Ed was seeing spirits and supernatural happenings all around him, but never had any psychic abilities of his own. According to New York Times, they met when they were about 16, when Lorraine went to see a James Cagney movie with some friends. James Cagney, amazing. Oh, fantastic. Love James Cagney. Yes. Ed was working at the theater as an usher in an adorable meet-cute, undoubtedly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He ripped her ticket and was like, hey, girl. And she was like, I'm having a psychic premonition. You're the one for me. Well, anyway, they met somehow and started dating. And Lorraine told Entertainment Weekly that on their first date, she thought, quote, I'll spend the rest of my life with that man. I guess she did have a premonition. I guess so. She did. She's like, I see I see the two of us dancing around that big tree over there. And they're like, <laughs> but that's just a sapling. <laughs> not for long. She's like, what wonders are coming? Although it's not exactly the most amazing depiction of someone predicting the future for them to look at a small tree and say, one day that'll be big. <gasps> How could you How know could such you a thing? Possibly... <laughs> <laughs> so true. Clearly possessed by the devil. <laughs> one day all of you will die. <laughs> <laughs> so Lorraine had her premonition that they were meant to be together and would be together forever. Mm-hmm. But it was 1944. And soon, Ed was off fighting in the Navy in World War II. Mm. Just a few months into his service, he was on a ship which collided with an oil tanker in the North Atlantic. There was a huge explosion, and everyone on board had to jump into the icy waters. Ed prayed for help, and soon he was rescued. He returned home and immediately asked Lorraine to marry him. While he was on leave in 1945, they held their wedding. Now, their only child, Judy, she was already six months old by the time that Ed finally came home for good. It was the first time that he'd even met his daughter. And the couple knew that it's time to get their career started. So they started putting their respective talents to work, hoping that they would become famous as painters. No. Yeah. Both of them were skilled in landscape paintings, and they always thought they'd make their living as artists. But... You know, you can't just be a landscape artist. They're a dime a dozen, mm-hmm. right? And they need more than a dime. <laughs> uh, it's not a very good payback on your paintings, a dime very, a dozen. It's not good. True. So they needed a hook to stand out. So they turned to their individual fascinations with the paranormal. They would find reports of haunted houses in the area from newspapers, and then they'd drive out to the site, and Ed would sit outside and do a full sketch of the house. Lorraine told Brittle in the book that the owners of the house would always be peeking out the windows, wondering who these kids were in their yard and what they were doing. But she would go up, knock on the door, show them Ed's sketch, and offer it in exchange for the information about the haunting. Then she said, quote, if the story was engrossing enough, we'd paint up the house for our collection and sell it later at an art show. Okay. That's pretty cool. It'd be like, we're, our art show is all haunted houses from the right. area, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, that would make it more, mm-hmm. you know, you'd definitely look, I guess, closer. They put little ghosts in the windows. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dead trees in the yard. Right. I guess they're lucky that they never knocked on the door and found a landlady like 
It's yeah, they may have. <laughs> I guess the, he, while he's sketching, she's like, "Ah, get the hell out of here! No pics, <laughs> no pics." <laughs> now they spent about five years traveling the U.S. and painting houses, mm. and their daughter Judy stayed in Connecticut with Lorraine's mother Georgiana. She also went to a Catholic school, and in a USA Today interview, Judy said she didn't really know what her parents did for a living until later on in life. Mm. And meanwhile. Ed was reading every book there was on the supernatural, sort of beginning his field research on the subject. Yeah. He, he, in fact, he would sometimes correct those books. Really? To learn more. Yeah. Because he said, you know, he had so much personal experience. Oh. He just knew what was right and wrong sometimes. Well, Lorraine was often skeptical. And in fact, many of these so-called haunted houses that they visited, Ed and Lorraine would discover that there was a perfectly normal explanation for the residents' scares. Like... Leaky pipes or rotting wood or sure. whatever. The house is settling. Whatever. Yeah, it's a draft. Yeah, it's just it's a draft. Uh -huh. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But occasionally, the Warrens would find something remarkable, sometimes even terrible, lurking within these haunted houses. Ed explains how a spirit manifests in Brittle's book and says that while people tend to think that ghosts are hovering around in spidery attics, wooing and booing, mm -hmm. they're actually really tough to see with the naked eye and they require some really specific conditions. He says, quote, When an earthbound spirit needs a human presence to manifest, it engages in a complex process of energy transference to give itself substance. That energy, he says, is the human aura. He says there is a three-layer aura around every person, and clairvoyants like Lorraine can actually see and read this aura, as can spirits. Now, some people's auras actually repel spirits, but others will attract them. Maybe that's my problem. My aura repels spirits. Yeah. And that's why I've never had an experience myself. I have often said that you have a very repelling aura. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At least it's not my personal smell. <laughs> no, no, you've got a lovely smell. It's just that just damn aura. aura you've got. <laughs> damn rotten aura. <laughs> sends people running. Spirits. Spirits running. And some people. And some people. <laughs> no, you're like the most inviting person I know. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. Lorraine says that under the right conditions, a spirit may try to get your attention with a projected sound, like breaking glass or maybe slamming a door shut. Ugh. An eerie feeling comes over you, and you may see two small glowing orbs of light. You may see streaks of light flashing away from your body, which is, quote, electromagnetic energy being drawn from your aura. Soon the orbs merge, elongate, and eventually take something close to a human form. Now, if the form is a ghost, it has no recognizable human features. Okay. It's full-on sheet with eyes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but if it's recognizably a person, then it's called an apparition. Ooh. There are other ways that ghosts and apparitions can manifest. And Ed says their gruesome appearance, quote, entirely depends on how that particular spirit determines to project itself. So the spirit sort of decides what it's going to look like through oh. its own sort of mood and energy. Okay. If a spirit had died violently in life, then the person's last thoughts can become central to the apparition's projection. And, quote, thus, 
the ghost will manifest as a grotesque spectacle representative of the manner in which it died. So like nearly headless mm. Nick, right? Got you. Yeah. So like nearly headless Nick. <laughs> or I'm thinking of The Frighteners, such a good oh, movie. yeah. And the Chi McBride plays that character who's so mad that he died in the 70s and he's wearing like a disco suit. <laughs> and he's like, I look like this forever. This sucks. <laughs> Now, Ed and Lorraine say that spirits can indeed harm living people, sometimes physically, like inflicting illness. And I'm thinking about our story last year about Amanda Large Teague, who married that pirate ghost. That's right. And she started to get really sick and learned that it was sucking energy from her. That's right. To get more powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, spirits can also just inflict random pains with no medical explanation. And now I'm thinking of my own self every day of my life. I'm wondering it's if I am haunted. It's not that you're nearing your 40s. It's no. spirit. It's spirits. pain. It's not that I sit all day and never stretch or exercise. <laughs> it's the ghosties. <laughs> uh, spirits can also harm humans psychologically. They can inflict crippling depression. They can cause insomnia. They can even cause addictive tendencies or even inflicting suicidal feelings. Oh. Yeah. The more homes they visited, the more in demand Ed and Lorraine became. Mm-hmm. Now people were calling them to come and investigate their homes, and they used their combined abilities to uncover the truth of these ghostly visits. Their expertise and unique talents led to rising fame and eventually their involvement in some of the most well-known paranormal cases in American yeah. history. Hey, wait, hang on, I'm sorry. I'm what, still what? hearing this weird noise. I don't know if you're getting it. You're hearing that in your headphones, right? Yeah, oh yes. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, everything's connected. Okay, uh, um, maybe you need to reboot your headphones? Uh, I'll try. Mine on well, yeah, I'll reboot the whole system. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll figure out what this problem is and be right back with the rest of the story. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. 
iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and uh, it sounds good. It sounds good? Yeah, no, okay. no, it sounds Great. good. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, everybody. All right, so in 1952, Ed and Lorraine Warren founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, and soon after that opened the Occult Museum in their home in Connecticut. The Warrens were in high demand to investigate paranormal activity in homes across the country. Mm. They were thorough, they got results, and best of all, they were free. Oh, now that's that's a selling point. <laughs> I'll buy anything for free. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ed and Lorraine agreed to never charge for their investigations. Instead, they made a killing on college lecture tours, book deals, and media appearances. Oh, Smart. okay. Now, regular people called them all the time. They're like, Ed and Lorraine, help! There's a golem in my garage. Oh, <laughs> Oh, okay. There's a there's a monster in, under my bed. There's a there's a freak in my sheets. There's a <laughs> there's a genie in my beanie. Oh no. <laughs> there's a gin in my bin. It's probably the more correct way to say that. <laughs> Hello, Ed and Lorraine. I'm at a party and there's a ghost in my host. <laughs> I don't know why they all rhyme, but they do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just Spirits accept, love to rhyme. Except the tale. Uh-huh. <laughs> but sometimes they got a call. From a priest. And that's when they knew it was serious business. This is how they were brought into the first of their most famous cases. Annabelle. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Uh, hang on a second. Hang on. Okay, I thought we fixed this. You know, actually, while we're paused, it's really cold in here. Do you think you can, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I can do it from the phone on our new, uh, our new thermostat. (laughs) Okay, heat up and the sound stopped. Okay. All right. Sorry. Anyway, Annabelle, yes. Uh, You've all heard of this movie, at least, if not seen it. 
I'll say that we have not seen it. <laughs> no, that's true. We haven't seen The Conjuring either. Maybe we should watch that tonight. None of these films. <laughs> no, I know, I know. We don't watch a lot of scary movies. I know, that's my fault, but yeah. I'm trying to get over it. Well, it's your fault, and I don't care enough to push you for them about that's most true. scary movies. That's true. I, you know what I was thinking about this today? You know what I don't like? I don't like injuries. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, that's fair. Yeah. I'll like, I don't mind a ghost movie. Like, we watched The Witch and now, loved it. I'm mad at myself for not watching that when it yeah. came out because it's it was really good. It was really good. Yeah. It was really good. But I don't like, I don't know. Maybe that's not true because I really like Hostel. Uh, I love Scream. Yes. Um, you know, but I don't know. Something, something I just don't like watching people's bodies get mutilated <laughs> often. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I find that to be a great quality of yours. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> if you. I may say. Thank you. Well, regardless, I don't know what the Annabelle movie is like, but the real story of Annabelle, according to Lorraine Warren in Brittle's book, is a bit different than the movie. This is a very condensed summary I'm going to give here. But in the late 1960s, a young single woman named Donna was gifted a Raggedy Ann doll by her mother for her 24th birthday. Just just a piece of decoration for her house. Sure. Well, she put it on her couch, but the doll began to move around. Like when Donna and her roommate Angie, who were both nurses, would come home from work, the doll would just be in different rooms or in different positions than she left it. One time, the Raggedy Ann doll even had blood dripping from her hand. Oh, no. Yeah, so the girls got a little freaked out, so they got in touch with a medium, suspecting there might be something supernatural going on. The medium came and tried to uncover what she could about the spirit. During a seance, she received a message. Hi, I'm Annabelle. I'm just seven years old, but a long time ago, before these apartments were here, I died. And everyone around here now is a grown-up. No one wants to be That's why I moved the doll around so much. But I like you two. I just want to be loved. Is it okay if I stay with you and move into the doll? Well, the girls were moved by her story. So they told her, yes, she was welcome to stay. But a short time after that, Things got way worse. Angie's boyfriend, Lou, woke up from a nap one time, and the doll was strangling him. Another time, Lou and Angie were alone together when they heard sounds from Donna's room that sounded like someone had broken in. Lou went to investigate and saw the Annabelle doll tossed randomly on the floor. He moved into the room, but as he approached the doll... He got the distinct and eerie feeling that someone was behind him. He spun around quickly and saw nothing. Then, Lou screamed and grabbed his chest. He fell to the ground. Angie ran into the room and found Lou covered in blood. He had been slashed seven times across the chest, three vertical and four horizontal. He said the cuts were hot like burns, but they healed within a day. The girls decided it was time to call a priest. And after investigating himself, he decided to call the Warrens. Well, Ed basically told them, y'all fucked up. Which, honestly, <laughs> they could have called me, and I would have told them the same fucking thing. 
honestly, I, made all the wrong choices. A weird here. spirit is like, I'm a. I'm Annabelle. I, can I move into your doll? Get the fuck out of my house. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Can yes. you move into a doll? If no. someone is like Ghostbusters, like if a spirit asks you if they can move into your doll, you, you say, say no. no. So Ed said what we we're all thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, first of all, you shouldn't have paid this weird doll so much attention. Right. You gave it a lot of power. Mm. So I guess the doll's moving around your house. Ed's yeah. advice would be to just ignore it. Ignore it or get rid of it. Or just get rid of the doll. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that sounds like what I would do. I'd throw <laughs> that shit right out. Right. Secondly, he says, you called in a medium and just let this spirit tell you some slapdash story about a dead girl and you believed it didn't have any questions or anything, which right. is like, hello. Oh, my God. If you say so, ghost. Go- no. Absolutely. Come on. <laughs> I I mean, co- anyway. Sorry, I'm getting worked up. (laughs) He said, quote, there is no Annabelle. There never was. You were duped. He said there's definitely a spirit involved, but it wasn't no little girl ghost. (laughs) This was the work of a demon. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, Ed got some priests in there to run an exorcism on the house. Mm. One thing that is different from the movies is that Ed and Lorraine did not perform exorcisms themselves. Right. Only clergy can perform exorcisms. Right. They were very emphatic about that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let your neighbor do it. No. It has to be a clergyman. Ed was a demonologist. And in fact, he was the first uh, lay person, non-clergy person to be recognized as a demonologist. Really? By the the church. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. But he was like, no, exorcisms, you have to be a priest. Now, rather than expunging the house of evil, this exorcism was all about filling the house with good and God, Mm -hmm. which I guess would make it just an uncomfortable environment for a demon to live in. Yeah, exactly. So that makes sense to me. And the Warrens took the Annabelle doll with them to be displayed in their museum, and they placed it in a glass case with a sign saying, quote, warning, positively do not open. Ooh. There's still some dark energy in that doll. Unless you want to play with me. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess so. You sound real lonely. <laughs> I really don't want to play with you. <laughs> I'll, I'll just take her out for a second. What harm could it do? Oh, no. <laughs> Eli's susceptible. <laughs> no, uh, Lorraine said that on the drive home, she told Ed, don't take the highway while we've got this doll in this backseat. Because uh, oh. it's going to be a tough drive home. And they said that they indeed had to at one point, doused the doll in holy water because it was acting up too much. Acting up? Yeah. Wow. What was it doing? Let's go put it in our house. I'm picturing Ed driving. (laughs) He's got a raggedy hand. (laughs) Trying to get the wheel. Grabbing his head from behind. (laughs) He's like, no! (laughs) They did change the doll in the movie to a much creepier doll than a raggedy hand because that is kind of hilarious. That is so (laughs) fucking funny. A a (laughs) non-scary doll acting like that is pretty funny. Like flat face, button eyes, evil demon doll. It would be so (laughs) funny. You could change nothing else about the movie and it would be a comedy classic. (laughs) A horror comedy classic. Somebody do that. Somebody recut that trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Ed and Lorraine worked many other major cases like we mentioned earlier, like Amityville and all these Mm -hmm. things. But the one a lot of horror movie fans are most familiar with, we referenced earlier, is The Conjuring. This is the story of the Perrin family. Now, this movie is apparently much more close to the true story. 
Uh, Lorraine actually worked as a consultant on the project. She even has a cameo role in the movie. And she insisted that the producers didn't take any more creative liberties than they absolutely needed to. It's mostly very close to true life. Hmm. Lorraine also told USA Today, quote, the things that went on in there were just so incredibly frightening. It still affects me to talk about it today. Now, this is the story of Carolyn and Roger Perrin and their five daughters who moved into a farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. But there were spirits who already had an attachment to this property. Most of these spirits that visited the daughters especially were harmless, but some were angry. Carolyn was tormented the most. The first visitation she ever received was at five o'clock in the morning. She woke up and she saw what she called the most frightening thing she'd ever seen in her life. Quote, It was a very tall woman. Her head was like a sack of cobwebs with little tendrils of hair hanging out. <sighs> Alright, don't need to sleep tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Carolyn learned that the home had been in the same family for eight generations, and many of those who lived there died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. <sighs> the worst of these was Bathsheba, who saw herself as the matriarch of the house and she saw Carolyn as competition. The real Bathsheba lived in the house in the mid-1800s and was rumored to have been a Satanist and potentially a murderer, according to allthatsinteresting.com. The home would smell like rotting flesh. Beds would levitate and hover above the ground. While the family avoided the basement as much as they could, their heating equipment would mysteriously fail and Roger would have to go downstairs, where he said he felt, quote, a cold, stinking presence behind me. Ugh. Every basement I go in, I feel that. It's really deep-seated from Home Alone when he went and the radiator laughed at him. Oh, that yeah. is legit for me. I yeah. think most kids feel that, especially if an unfinished basement. Yeah, which I I did growing up. But I, you know what? Home Alone also gave me the courage to laugh at it. That's right. He so went down I appreciated and he's a, that. He's a man now. Yeah, because <laughs> I kind of thought that. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell that noise to shut up. That's right. I'm tough. I'm tough. Sometimes that worked. I ain't scared of no radiator. Sometimes <laughs> it still works today. Sometimes it doesn't. Not so much. <laughs> now, the Warrens made multiple trips over the 10 years that the family lived there. And at one point... Lorraine attempted a seance to try and contact the spirits. During this, Carolyn was possessed. She floated up off the ground and started chanting in what her eldest daughter Andrea called, quote, a language not of this world, in a voice not her own. Carolyn was lifted up and thrown across the room. After that, Roger Perrin told the warrants to, quote, get the hell out of my house and never return. In all, the parents had to live in that house for a decade before they could afford to move, at which point the haunting stopped. Huh. Andrea Perrin said, quote, my mother and I would just as soon swallow our tongues than tell a lie. People are free to believe what they want. But I know what we experienced. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yes. It's so cold in here. Are you not freezing? I mean, it's a little cold, but I just turned the heat uh, Can you turn up. it up? It's more I mean, of... Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Is there like a space heater or something? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hang on. There's a space heater. Um, I'll go get it. Just a second. 
Well, the door won't open. Oh, come on. Uh, no, don't get up. I got I said, don't get up. Diana, what are you doing? Diana, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you still with us, listener? Stay a while. We have such stories to share. We will be back right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. There are treats for the ears and soul here for all to share. And we... Excuse me. I'm sorry. It's these these fall allergies, you know? They've really been kicking in the last couple of days. Yeah, your voice sounds really weird. <clears throat> I just need some water. Are you, yeah. Is the temperature better? Yeah, no, it feels a lot better in yeah. here. Well, we get, it was you know. so weird how the power was flickering. I know, right? So weird. And that draft came in. Oh, no uh. wonder it's freezing cold. Oh, my God. Anyway. So... There's so much more important info about the Warrens beyond the cases they explored, and much of it has come out just in recent years. Ed passed away in August of 2006, and one of the stories he always wanted to get made into a movie was The Conjuring. Oh, yeah, that one really stuck with them both. Their daughter Judy's husband, Tony Sparrow, said, quote, and what's being made into a movie? That one. I think he's working from beyond to make this thing happen. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's a lot of people in Hollywood right now trying to get a script made. And they're like, Ed, can he's dead. And he gets a movie made <laughs> oh, I in guess, this town? <laughs> I guess I got to be a ghost to get <laughs> my got, story turned into a movie. I got to die in this town. <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, obviously, the Warrens have always had their detractors. Oh, yeah. There are yeah. many disbelievers sure, in the world. Sure, In 2012, the Viking News of Westchester Community College wrote in opposition to the school using student activity fees to pay Lorraine to lecture. They said, quote, Warren, along with her late husband, Ed, are audacious and unabashed frauds, capitalizing on completely meritless superstition, which is all too common in modern society. And Dr. Stephen Novella at Yale School of Medicine says that their methods just exacerbate people's existing mental illness. Mm. He said, quote, they'll say, yes, your child is possessed by a demon. That's the worst thing you can do to somebody with a delusional problem. It's like saying, yes, the CIA really is monitoring you through the fillings in your teeth. Damn. Wait, the CIA is monitoring me through my fillings? I, I feel like he was really confessing there and trying to get a coded <laughs> uh, message out to the people. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I know you're listening, CIA. <laughs> I do think it's so weird to say anyone with a ghosty problem has mental illness. Right, right, right. But I guess if you're not believing yeah, ghosts, then, you then think, what else could it be? You think it must be a delusion. Right. You know, or unless it's just creaky floorboards or a draft. Like it was for us. Like it was for us, yeah. But claims of Ed and Lorraine's fraud were just the beginning. Because in 2017... Four years after The Conjuring came out and a year after The Conjuring 2, The Hollywood Reporter put out an article titled 
War Over the Conjuring, the disturbing claims behind a billion-dollar franchise. And that brings us to this episode's Side Piece. I'm scared. Now, the article says that a few weeks after The Conjuring movie opened, studio executives were made aware of allegations that in the early 1960s, Ed Warren had a relationship with an underage girl with Lorraine's knowledge. What? Her name is Judith Penny. And now in her 70s, she said in a sworn declaration that she, quote, lived in the Warren's house as Ed's lover for four decades. <laughs> An attorney for Lorraine said that the family had no knowledge of such conduct and that as Lorraine was 90 years old at the time and in failing health, she could not comment. Judith Penny said that before Ed was famous, he was working as a city bus driver in Monroe, Connecticut. He was in his mid-30s and Judith was just 15, a student at Central High School who rode his bus. She began a, quote, amorous relationship with him, and by 1963, she moved into their home. Hmm. Hollywood Reporter says, quote, for the next 40 years, she said she had a sexual relationship with Ed with Lorraine's knowledge. At first, she had a bedroom across the hall from them before the couple had an apartment built for her upstairs. Ed would sleep downstairs one night and upstairs the next. Wow. Sounds like they had a nice compromise going right. on at the very least. But her moving in didn't go unnoticed. In 1963, someone tipped off the police and Judith was arrested. Damn. Police tried to convince her to sign a statement admitting to the affair, but she refused. The courts ordered her to go to juvenile delinquency meetings once a week for a month. Ed would pick her up from school and take her there. Okay, so a couple things. <laughs> Many problems. One, why does she get arrested when people say that she's sleeping with She's uh, a minor sleeping with an adult. Boggles the mind. Why would she get arrested? Why would That's they arrest question. him if those accusations came up? Him, her parents, maybe. Uh -huh. Anyone but her. Why is she the one? Yeah. Unless you're like, the only place you're safe is in a cell <laughs> with right. cops watching you because you have a creep uh, hanging out with you. Unless the police are being controlled by the demons <gasps> who are trying to stop Ed and Lorraine. Oh, my God. And they're trying to get a false confession out of her. Oh. for this thing. Wow. Unlikely. I don't believe Unlikely. that. Unlikely. Uh, I'm not taking the side of, uh, of a supernatural excuse <laughs> for a sexual predator. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, also, if this is all going down, if she's got these accusations levied against her and has, has been like court ordered to go to juvenile delinquency, Ed, what are you doing being the one to take her? Like, talk about well, I mean, just again, making it more suspicious. I'm really not understanding how they did not remove her from the home. Right. Even if she wouldn't sign a statement, they still know, right? They believe, but I don't think they had any proof. Somebody just okay. tipped them off. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess if she won't say anything, they can't really be like, uh -huh. you're not in a safe space. She's just living there. They're taking care of her. Damn. Well, it gets worse because in 1978, 15 years after she moved in with them, Judith says that this is when she got pregnant with Ed's child. And Lorraine convinced her to have an abortion. She said that despite Lorraine claiming to be a devout Catholic, quote, her real God is money. And Judith claims that, you know, if this scandal had gotten out, it would ruin their career as 
you know, ghost hunters, which they were successful at at the time. They were pretty big at this time. Okay, so she's like, you can't have no baby around me. Now, Judith alleges that the Warrens wanted her to tell everyone that someone had broken into the house and raped her, and that's how she got pregnant. But Judith refused to tell that lie. She did get the abortion, and Ed and Lorraine, she says, picked her up from the hospital, dropped her off at home, and then went out and did a lecture that night. Now, Judith also said that Ed and Lorraine would fight really badly. She claimed, quote, some nights I thought they were going to kill each other. She also said that Ed once backhanded Lorraine so hard that she passed out. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Very intense allegations. And Lorraine's daughter, Judy, and her husband, Tony, say they never saw that kind of behavior from either of them. And that they had just offered Judith Penny a place to live when she had nowhere else to go. Okay. So total philanthropist. Right, right. I point out that Judy did not live with the Warrens growing up. She lived with her grandmother. So how would she know? I mean, they were close. You know, she said she maintained a good relationship with them throughout their lives. Right, but people can hide. But I mean, people can hide a lot. Let's of stuff think about you. Fred and Dolly Ostery. Oh my God, Dolly can hide a lot. You can hide a lot in a house <laughs> from an unobservant person. Yes, but Judy and Tony allege that while the Warrens were on tour lecturing, Judith watched their house. Okay, and they claim that she had a long-term boyfriend at the time, who she eventually married. They think Judith is being manipulated. Okay, but get this. In Lorraine's contract with New Line to work as a consultant on The Conjuring, The Hollywood Reporter reports that it specifically states that neither she nor Ed could be depicted, quote, engaging in crimes, including sex with minors, child pornography, prostitution, or sexual assault. And neither of them could be depicted as having an extramarital affair. Hollywood Reporter does quote a talent attorney saying that it's not unusual for people to put specific details in their contracts when they sell the rights to their stories. Mm -hmm. But quote, she has never seen specific language barring depictions like these. Man. That is so weird. It's so weird because you might say like I might sell my story to to New Line, which uh, feel free to call me up, guys. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I might put in my contract. Uh, you know, you can never just make me committing a crime. I I never did, but I don't want him to put it in there for dramatic effect. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get ahead of it and say, don't fuck with my life too much. That happens. Yeah. But to so specifically say, by the way, you can never depict us as having sex with minors is like such a very specific thing to put in there. Insanely specific. If someone was reading it, I feel like they'd be like, usually that kind of goes without saying. Yeah. But maybe you would include it if you knew there was some dirt out there about your ass being nasty pedophile. Super weird. And then get this. After the movie came out, producer Tony DeRosa Grund emailed a bunch of executives and said, Hey, you guys, we got to stop saying that this is the true story of the Warrens because it ain't. He got wind of Judith's claims and said, quote, Ed was a pedophile a sexual predator, and a physically abusive husband. Lorraine enabled Ed to do this. And he warned the producers that Judith might tell her story to the media, saying, quote, Once this comes out, do you think Patrick Wilson or Vera Farmigo would knowingly play Ed and Lorraine again? Oh, hell no. Vera would be like, 
Uh, remove me. Yes. Replace me with a hologram of Christopher Plummer. <laughs> now, DeGrund told Judith Penny that he could, quote, temper the romantic relationship between the characters in the sequel. Because one of the big problems that she had is that I guess they're portrayed as such a loving couple. Right. And she's like, that's totally wrong. I don't want people thinking that was what their life was when it was actually very volatile and and bad you know there's a lot of bad stuff going on mm. he said well in the sequels you know i'll make sure that it's not such a happy marriage i see but get this just a few years later tony de rosa grund was suing warner brothers and new line for booting him from the sequels uh-uh. all of a sudden he wasn't involved no more what very strange Meanwhile, remember Gerard Brittle, who wrote the book The Demonologist and spent years following and interviewing the Warrens? He was also suing Warner Brothers and New Line. Mm -hmm. He claimed that the Conjuring franchise violated an exclusivity deal that he had with the Warrens, which prevented them from entering into a motion picture deal without his consent. He also claimed the movies were falsely depicting real figures and claiming to be true stories. Okay. So, essentially, like Tony saying, this ain't the real story. Right. Because Brittle revealed that while he believed the Warrens when he was writing the book, he later discovered that their stories were far from truthful. Mm. He said the studio was aware they were false, and therefore they copied the version of events in his book rather than tell their true story. Wow. So therefore, they were stealing his version. Right. He, he had written it as a true story, but it turned out to be fiction. Right. So he's like, as the writer, I should get something. Yeah. Which yeah. I totally get. Oh, it's it's wild. For but them. that's so crazy. He must have heard Judith's claims as well. It was just yeah. like... Well, Brittle actually knew Judith. He knew um, her pretty sure, well because he he'd spent so long with the Warrens. There's a passing reference to her in his book, but not much of one. And according to Living Magazine, somewhere in Gerald Brittle's 355-page lawsuit, he claims that Judith Penny was ready to testify about how inaccurate the portrayals of the Warrens were in the movies. It said she would disclose, quote, the absolute charade of this family dynamic as depicted as fact in these movies. The true family dynamic was known at the highest executive levels of both New Line and Time Warner. So he's saying, I, I will, I've got a witness who can come out here and spill this. And this seemed to be what really freaked out the movie studios because they're like, first, we didn't want this to get out because we're just trying to sell a movie here. We don't want people hating these characters, right? So right. bury that. And then on top of that, they're like, oh, plus if this story's not true, then we did copy the book. So we'll get so in trouble for that. So we have to pay that guy. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, now if it comes out and... For example, DeRosa Grund has this email to us from back then okay. telling us, and we knowingly ignored it. Additional Then it shit. looks real bad for us, too. Mm-hmm. Now, Judith herself never did go to the media with her story. There's a few taped conversations. I'm, I'm not sure with whom, mm-hmm. but The Hollywood Reporter got their hands on these. And then, of course, they have what they heard from DeRosa Grund and Gerald Brittle about Judith's story. Judith spoke to someone because it said that there's a sworn statement out there that she wrote. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly who, but she did not go to the media with this story herself. Hmm. But the tapes reveal that she did really love Ed. Um, she didn't have very fond feelings for Lorraine. And she often wondered why Lorraine let her stick around for so long. In one of these recordings, she says, quote, Why did I do this? 
Why did I screw up my life like this? I get angry thinking about it, how so much was taken away from me. I mean, true, though. Oh, for real. You're living as a third wheel yeah. in some guy's house as oh. a secret mistress for starting, 40 years. Uh, starting as a 15-year-old. And you never get a, to have your kid, a kid of your own right. or a house of your own or right. anything of your own. I mean, yeah, that would be uh, something that would make you incredibly bitter. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, 15. Oh, yeah. At what point was she like, man, I think I was probably a child who wasn't capable of making a decision uh, like that. Yeah. In the end, Brittle's case was settled, with a joint statement being released saying, quote, Mr. Brittle realizes that filing this lawsuit was a mistake. What? And that New Line has no liability and did nothing wrong. Wow. I'm like, did he realize it was a mistake because you sent some goons to his house? <laughs> right. And they were like, say it was a or, mistake. Or a big enough check. Well, that Either way, because they settled out of court. He was suing for $900 million. Oh, wow. Because that this is, again, this is an over-billion-dollar franchise. At this point, The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2, Annabelle, I think there's an Annabelle 2, The Nun. These are all movies based off the Warrens mm. and their stories that Brittle wrote about in his book. Okay. So, yeah, he really felt like he needed uh-huh. some recompense. Uh-huh. So, I guess he did get his recompense. Right. And THR reports that Brittle now claims... He was put up to the lawsuit by none other than Tony DeRosa Grunt. The producer. He said, quote, Tony has been controlling this litigation from the start. He even threatened my attorneys that if they sent information from me without him reviewing it first, they would be fired. Wow. Ah, uh, wow. what? He also said that when he complained about this, about uh, DeGrun's sort of oversight of all the evidence and everything. Yeah. Uh, DeGrun told the lawyers, oh, good. Well, then get Gerald to fucking pay you. Oh, wait, he doesn't have a pot to piss in. I forgot. Oh, OK. So he was real like elitist about it, too. Like, I'm paying for the lawsuit here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I get con- I get to control the whole flow of information. Uh-huh. Get a pot to piss in first. Sir. <laughs> right. So very shifty. That is shifty. Uh huh. But then Tony says, quote, Mr. Brittle was never a puppet. New Line's campaign against me is pure retribution because I was the whistleblower that put New Line on notice regarding the sexual predation by Ed Warren. The studio did not only not investigate those claims, they said they didn't want to know. Wow. So I could totally see a studio being like, oh we'll write this check, but this is what you need to be saying but from this now is what on. You need to say. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard to say. Oh, my God. Because usually, I mean, especially, I mean, this is this was all happening in like 2017 or so. Okay. Hollywood's got a pretty potent history back then of covering up sexual assault. Very true. Especially when they have, a t- yeah, especially when they have a ton of money at stake, like mm-hmm. a big franchise like this. Right. So, you know, I could totally see that. On the other hand, I don't know. This guy, DeRosa Grund, he sounds real shady. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, he's getting sued for, like, some sort of crypto thing right now in Florida. I don't really know the details. Um, But uh, I don't know. He might be a shitty, shifty guy who's also correct about everything that's going on with Ed Warren. True. That doesn't necessarily (laughs) mean he's lying. Yeah. If anything, he would know more about it. <laughs> He'd be like, trust me, I've done it myself many times. I'll tell you exactly how they did it. Uh-huh. But people are like, well, why then is he, uh, you know, making all this up if he is? Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, he got booted from making the sequels. So he's just a grudge. So he's just a grudge. He wants his money. 
They were like, well, but then why did he get booted from the sequels? But then... Is he just... Nobody likes him and he sucks? Exactly. What did he do? Or did he say something about this and they didn't like it? Oh, this is a tough one. I know, right? This is a tough one. It's very tough. And in terms of Judith... Some people say that he put her up to a lot of this, that he took maybe Tony an old. Tony did? Yeah, that Tony did, that maybe this is an old story that, true or not, he sort of like dug up mm-hmm. and re-sparked trying to, trying to get her to testify. You know, some people say that she was pressured by police originally to talk about this affair that never happened. And it was all people just kind of coming after the Warrens. Huh. Um, either because they resented them. A lot of people hated them. Sure. Uh, or or for some other reason we don't know about. You know, I, I'm inclined to believe this lady. Uh, so am I. Right? <laughs> so so am I. Yeah. Um, but it is wild. It's real hard to say. Very, very wild. Yeah. And I guess Lorraine is no longer with us. Lorraine died in 2019. Yeah. Okay. And she was in poor health for the last few years. So she, uh, as far as I could tell, never really Not commented involved. on this. Yeah. And Judith is still alive. Judith her, yeah, Judith is still alive as far as I know, but again, has never really made any media appearances. Right. Um, Judy, her daughter, and her husband, Tony, are still alive. Uh, they took over the museum for a while, but it did close after Lorraine's death. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I would have gone to that. Yeah. Apparently, after the movies came out, they started getting way more recognition. And somebody complained about the museum. Uh, well, they said people just started pouring in. They got so much mm. more business than they could handle. Yeah. And, and I, I remember the daughter, Judy, saying people would just come in and park in the parking lot and like peer at us through the windows and stuff. And it got real creepy. She's like, it but was the- too Ed and Lorraine for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but eventually someone complained, like somebody filed a suit against them not having the right permits or something, because they just set this museum up in their house. Right. It wasn't a commercial right. uh, thing. Um, so eventually they did have to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know where the Annabelle doll is today, though. Exactly. Did they keep it shut? Or is she the reason all this is going on? <laughs> I did read an interview with Vera Farmiga where she said they went to the Lorraine's house to meet them uh, before the movie got started or to meet Lorraine before the movie got started. And she said, Patrick Wilson went down into their basement where their museum is, but I wouldn't do it. She said, I'd heard too many stories. I wouldn't go down there. (laughs) Hell no, sir. I need to see that doll. Patrick Wilson say anything? I don't know. I guess he never said. He didn't say. He hasn't spoken much. Never tell anyone what you saw down here. (laughs) Patrick Wilson. (laughs) He's like, ah. Uh, and Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, at least in Hollywood Reporter, it says they have never commented oh, on okay. any of this stuff. So that's probably no for the best. Yeah, you know, until they're you, not going to. I mean, there's really nothing to say until you know right. it's really a he said, she said. I would argue that the producers probably never informed them of any of this. That you know? is another, I was about to say also, they might not have even known. Yeah. Why would they be told? Yeah. And again, as like the, what's his name? The producer mm-hmm. was like, you think they'll play yeah. the Warrens if they're know how you know how shitty they are? Yeah. So I'm sure they were like, well, we can't tell the stars that there's even a right, a, a, you know, a whiff of scandal. Right, exactly. So Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, if you're listening, <laughs> we um, know you are. This is the true story of your characters. <laughs> uh, we look forward to you coming on the show and talking to us about it. Oh my god, that would um, be really cool. Very creepy. crazy, super creepy. Very I mean, creepy. it's all creepy. I mean, each of these like. Their respective experiences growing up, if any of that's true, mm-hmm. super creepy. Yeah. I, I, look at the parents. I mean, they 
those girls are still around and they swear up and down this happened. Mm. You know, why would we lie about it? They they didn't make no money off it. They spent 10 years being tormented. Wow. So I don't know. Spooky things. I don't know. Yeah. Spooky things indeed. It is. I, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts about it. Yeah. Honestly, please. about these stories, about the movies, about any sort of hauntings you've experienced. Right? Uh, we'll tell these stories on the air, so send them our way. Yeah, please do. Yeah. What's up? I'm sorry, it's just so cold. Are you cold again? again? Oh my god. Thank you for contributing your souls to this episode. Your eternal promise will not go unrewarded. Mailer demons can reach out to ridicromance at gmail.com. And follow the Dark Lord, I mean, follow us on social media. The true hell on earth. On Instagram and Twitter, follow at oh great, it's Eli. And at Diana Might Boom. And follow the show at Romance if thou wouldst like to live deliciously. And happy, happy Halloween. Halloween! Love you! Bye! So long, friends, it's time to leave. But we'll rise again on Hallow's Eve. Put your friends in a vampiric trance. And play for them our show with Cryptilus Romance! <laughs>Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown? Sleep tight stories. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.